Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Danny. I'm not here. Leave a message or don't. I don't care. Fuck you. Danny, hello. Um, this is Woody Allen. Uh, I don't know if you remember me, I um, I directed the movie The Curse of the Jade Scorpion. I just wanted to tell you that last night I went to see Captain America's Civil War. It was uh, based on your review, actually, and I, th- I thought it was quite charming. It, it actually reminded me a lot of a disagreement I had with my optometrist in 1995. He moved his offices three blocks over and the new building was very badly ventilated. I said, Jesus, Steve, this place is like, the air is so stale, I feel like I'm in a sarcophagus. Anyway, we had a falling out. So I wanted to say, you know, thank you for the recommendation for the movie. And my new movie, Cafe Society, is opening the Cannes Film Festival. And I would love you guys to come and see it if you wanted to. I originally offered the tickets to my neighbor and her son, but this morning she burned a mouth and some roasted peanuts, so she sadly can't make it. Anyway, hopefully I'll see you guys there. I gotta go. I gotta write an entire television show in 12 minutes, but I'll see you at the Cannes Film Festival. Oh my god, this is the life. It is fantastic to be here. Cannes is a beautiful town, and I was so excited to get that voicemail from Woody Allen. Never been to a proper big film festival like this I before. Know. And this is the one to go to. Yeah, it makes the London BFI Film Festival seem like utter trash. You want to go to a place where it's very tempting not to go inside. Yeah, precisely. That's with the perfect environment to see a film. Precisely, and that's the environment that we're in, okay? Everything is here. I've got a street puppet show about a Taiwanese martial arts choreographer learning how to paint. That looks pretty cool, wow. and there's a whole family dressed as Javier Dolan. Oh, yeah. It's just very cool here. So we'll be keeping you updated listeners throughout the day. We thought we'd record the whole episode while we're in Cannes, which makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And uh, maybe we can give you a spontaneous review of Cafe Society after we've seen it. You know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what are we going to be discussing today, Danny? Uh, we're going to be discussing the new Gomera del Toro film. We're going to be discussing the new Terry Gilliam film. I'm reviewing The Green Room, the neo-Nazis versus punks movie. You're going to be reviewing... I'm going to be reviewing Demolition, which is a new Jake Gyllenhaal film. Directed Jake by... G! Jake G, that man himself. Yeah. Directed by Jean-Marc Vallée, who also directed Wild and Dallas Bias Club. And I hear that he might even be in town. So I'm kind wow. of hoping maybe we can get to speak to him as well. So anyway, it's very exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll catch up with you later. Absolutely.
films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. These good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Woo films, films that star Peter Fitch, films by David Lynch, films short, films six hours long. Still here. Still here. It's a wonderful afternoon. It's the perfect time and the perfect place. This wonderful, smooth can beach. Not a soul in sight, even though it's an incredibly busy festival. It's surprising, really. Um, odd. <laughs> <laughs> odd, you might say. Almost too quiet. Let's have a look at our Facebook page and see what people have been saying to Film Chat this week. So, Chris Young, friendly adjunct to the podcast, has written in to point out that they've released a trailer for the new Ang Lee film. Um, Ang Lee, what was the last thing that he did? Life of Pi. Life of Pi, absolutely. Won an Oscar for it. Yeah, and it was very good. Um, and he says, I'm very excited for this film, film chat. I mean, the trailer looks cheesier than the book, but I trust Ang Lee. Have you read Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk? No, man. I've, I've read not it. read it. I've read it. It's pretty good. It's about a guy who's in uh, Iraq, and um, he becomes a viral video hit after he does some heroics and him and his uh, battalion or platoon or whatever the terminology is are being honored at the super bowl in the halftime show and the story kind of takes place on the day when he's um going you know they're doing that and uh, kind of flashes back to various other points um in his life yeah yeah and it's kind of cool it's an interesting book about the disorienting feeling of uh coming home after being at war and the kind of gap between the public's desire to hold up um, soldiers as heroes and see war as this romantic thing um, and how for soldiers it's more like a kind of horrific trauma that they don't want to even think about. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting because the trailer is like kind of sentimental and seems quite like it's got strings and... Well, it indulges the modern trailer cliche of having having a, a slow, breathy version of David Bowie's Heroes. Yeah. Which I feel like the slow, breathy version of pop songs, they need to stop. Yeah, that's become they're, a they're bit of a lazy. Out. It's a bit lazy. What was the thing that started that? Was it like the social network? Yeah, or? I think The Creep and then Men, Women, Children did I Feel Love by Donna Summer. Yeah. The slow, breathy version. And even like Star Wars is now like super slow down. And they do it and, on little pianos and, to like um, Jurassic World, the teaser Jurassic, did that. And then uh, Ghostbusters, which is the most fun 80s song ever. Da, da, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So, whoa. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's like the song I, I know, but slow and on a piano. Yeah, I feel it's it's been played out. Yeah, it's know? getting a bit dull. But yeah, anyway, the trailer because it has that, it has that kind of um, stirring on soldiers, heroes feeling, which is the thing the whole book is interrogating. Yeah. But on the other hand, they got to sell this movie. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, you know, I guess that's how they're marketing. You know what I just realized? You know what I just realized? What? The trailer for Life of Pi was scored to Paradise by Coldplay. And they were the halftime Super Bowl show this year. Oh my god! What does it mean? Wow, that's powerful insight. And didn't wait? Didn't they perform with um, uh, Beyonce? Beyonce. Yeah. And she's in. But no, she's not. In this well, film. she's in the book. She's in the book. In the book, it's oh uh, my god. It's in the book, it's Destiny's circle. Child. Yeah. So if they've actually got Beyonce for this movie, they probably don't. And Destiny's Child played when she did the uh, 2012. Was it? 
Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's Illuminati, man. Chris also got in touch to give his review of Captain America. I'm actually going to do this in the style of Chris. You know, I do a really Chris, good Chris impression. You do a really uncanny impression of Chris, yeah, 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 actually. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. <coughs> Hi, Film Chat. I saw Captain America Civil War and I found it just a bit dull, you know? I'm the first to admit that I suffered from superhero movie fatigue and I think I just don't love these characters as much as I'm supposed to. Nonetheless, I think there are problems with the dullness of the film that extend my beyond my own bias. Here they are. One, nothing really is at stake. Watching superhero films, you never really believe the heroes are in any danger, but there's normally some unfortunate innocent caught in the crossfire. An Aunt May, a city about to be destroyed. In this film, it's hero versus hero and I didn't really worry about anyone. No one, at least towards the end of the film, was under any risk. I mean, maybe their friendship was at stake, but it never really felt like it. Two, it peaks too early. The best bit, and it is really good, is when all the superheroes face off. A great scene! But there's about 45 minutes more film, and the final showdown is just 5 to 10 minutes of beefy guys punching each other repeatedly in the chest. And a twist only really feels like it's there to make that chest punching happen. Three, there's no villain. This probably ties into point number one, but I think as much as you need someone to root for, you also need someone to root against. A good antagonist will just give the film a bit of jeopardy, make everything uncertain, and also provides an obstacle to overcome. There was none of that in the film, and so, less tension, less drama. But on the plus side, I did think Spider-Man was good, and Ant-Man was funny. Keep up the good work, film chatters! <coughs> Wow, someone should Ugh. get that impression of Chris its own podcast. I know. That's how good it was. Thanks, man. Been so, working on it. See, that comment kind of ignited its own civil war mm. on the film chat page. On one side. There are listeners rushing to Chris's defense or yeah. assaulting his barricades. Exactly. You know? It's, well, it's pretty... Iron Sam versus Captain Danny. Captain Danny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot. I mean, I don't recommend um, that we read it all out now. Um, <laughs> but it was quite a full and engaging and quite interesting argument. Anyway, you know, I recommend that if, um, to you listeners, you've probably already read it because, you know, our listeners are not so vast that, you know, pretty much all of them were replying on this particular argument, so. Um, but if you're one of the few who wasn't, you should go and read it. It's a very interesting and engaging chat, even if you can tell that there's a lot of burning hatred beneath the kind of polite exteriors. And very quickly... James Andrews, who we hadn't heard from in a while, but then he came back with a vengeance, and he was sort of live-blogging his experience of listening to last week's episode, which is pretty good fun, because we had a couple of things like, oh, you should look this up, listener, while we were talking. And he was doing that, and writing about his experience at the time. He took me to task for not knowing what Space Jam is about, really. And then he posted us a fascinating website consisting of a lot of celebrities naked with fish on them. <laughs> which, you know... Yeah, I checked it out. Did you check it out? I did, yeah. It's pretty erotic. I spent a long time watching it, if you know what I mean. Like, I, I hear was, you. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm sick of the beach. I don't know how you feel about it, Danny. You a bit hungry? Yeah. Should we grab lunch? Yeah, I hear there's a really good place nearby here called the Chocolate Croisette. Let's go there. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. This is pretty good. It's pretty great. Yeah. yeah. Oh. You did a good job picking it. Thanks, man. 
Kind of on TripAdvisor. Yeah. The chocolate croisette. I mean, it sounds delicious. And it looks delicious. This place is good enough to eat. I just hope the food <laughs> is the same. Uh, what have we got here? What have we got here? Ooh, it all looks so good. Qu'est-ce que vous voulez manger, monsieur? Quelque chose à boire d'abord? I think this strange man is asking us what we'd like to drink, Danny. Ah, you, you, do you know what you want? There's quite a lot of interesting options here. I will have the Schnapps Mickelson, s'il vous plaît. Okay. I think I'm going to have a beer. There's some good options. I'm tempted by the George Miller Time Ale, but I'm going to go for the... I'll have a glass of Stella Skarsgård, please. D'accord, alors une Schnapps Mickelson et une Stella Skarsgård, c'est bon. Oh mon dieu. Ces anglais sont chiants. What a lovely man. <laughs> what a helpful chap. He's very nice. Anyway, this gives the, us a perfect amount of time to discuss some latest movie news. What's been happening, Danny? You know Gamora del Toro, that director? Yeah, wonderful man. He's a lovely, friendly uh, genius. And he has got a new film in the works. It is called The Shape of Water, and Michael Shannon has just signed on to star in it. As he's a cool dude, and that's a cool-sounding name. Yes, he is going to be the villain, and he... He's joining a cast which includes Sally Hawkins, Octavia Spencer, and Michael Stuhlberg. Okay, what's it about? Hawkins is reportedly playing a mute woman who works at a lab where an amphibious man is being held and experimented on. She takes pity on the creature and decides to help him escape, but soon comes to realize that the outside world might be even more dangerous. It's all set against the backdrop of 1960s America in the early grip of the Cold War. Sounds great. It's like a spy thriller crossed with some kind of gothic Frankenstein-esque you know, the world is more dangerous than a monster type of story. It's basically like Free Willy if the kid wanted to, like, bone that killer whale. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, Beauty and the Beast if the Beast was, like, an amphibious monster. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this because on as much as I like Crimson Peak, that was a bit of a sort of greatest hits of just gothic books he'd read. But yeah. it sounds a bit more out there as a premise. Well, it's, it's hard to pitch the tune just judging from what you said. You know, I feel like yeah. I could do this as quite a serious dark film or as one of his slightly more cartoonish ones. What's the Cold War badge of? Is like, gonna... is Michael Shannon going to be like Jeff Nichols Shannon or like Snyder Shannon, you know? Yeah, is he constantly yeah. going to be going, I will find them and like screaming that, like, looking for the amphibious man? Do like the Americans think he's like a Ruski spy or something, this fish man? Right, yeah. It's like, the Russians have made him in a lab, but he's here to spy on our way of life. Yeah, he thinks he's going to just get in with our fish, and he's going to listen from the tank, and he's yeah. going to hear what all the people are saying. Maybe, like, Watergate <gasps> is literally... Oh my god, it's the, the wrong fish decade, man. but yes. Maybe if he moves the fish man in an epilogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, no, it's the 60s. Watergate yeah. is the 70s. Maybe the fish man dies and in honor of his you know how he helps society they build a hotel after him yes <laughs> he escapes through the gate in the water yes and, then and they name the hotel after his water great gate. escape and then it ends with uh, a close-up of nixon's face he looks a bit shifty yeah and michael shannon is in elvis and nixon coming out like in a couple of months <gasps> he's not playing nixon though Les boissons, monsieur. thank you very much thanks a lot looks uh looks you, smells great Alors, uh, monsieur, qu'est-ce que vous voulez manger? Ah, thank you very much. J'y uh, voudrais the Donald Sutherland fried chicken. Uh, poulet frites. And I'm uh, not feeling that hungry, so I'll just go with the soup of the day. I'll have the Tim broth, please. Alors, c'est un Donald Sutherland fried chicken et une uh, Tim broth. Oh, mon dieu. Ces anglais sont chiants. Yeah, not the best customer service, I would say. Something's eating his 
beef. I don't know. What's the? F <laughs> is there a phrase for that? I feel like I'm uh, like because I'm in France, I'm sort of lost on my English idioms. Somebody's eating that guy's beef. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, we have time for a bit more news while our food is coming. Brilliant. So Terry Gilliam, he's another filmmaker like Guillermo del Toro, who's very well regarded, known for his inventive flights of fancy. But he hasn't made a movie in a while that had a huge impact. Um, but one project of his that never got made, but it's frequently discussed, is a movie called uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Yeah. Which he's been trying to make for about 15 years. We've discussed years. it during the life of Film Chat. We've discussed it at least once. What was the occasion for the last time? Well, the was it moving forwards there? The casting keeps on changing, and the last casting announcement was there's going to be John Hurt and Jack O'Connell. Oh, right. God, I'd forgotten that. This is way back in... Yeah, uh, this is way back. Film Chat's yesterday. Eight months ago or so. Yeah, um, but it's cool. Uh, I don't. I can't remember what we said about it back then. But I like the fact that the story is about Don Quixote, a man who's I don't know that much about the Cervantes novel, but I'm aware that it's about a guy who thinks that he's a great knight and is um, sort of futilely trying to do a great feat that he can never accomplish. And, and the, life it's so ironic, ironic that the uh, movie is the same kind of thing. So, uh, well, the casting has obviously shifted around, and the latest announcements are that it will star Adam Driver and Michael Palin. That's pretty cool. Which is also very cool. I mean, um, John Hurt and Jack O'Connell is a pretty cool lineup as well, but this is possibly even cooler. I really like the idea of the next Python and Adam Driver. Before Jack movie. O'Connell and John Hurt, it was Robert Duvall and Ewan Wasn't McGregor. John, wait, and before that, like, Johnny Depp was attached it to It was Johnny point, Depp right? and uh, John, I forget his name, a French actor, and he broke his, like back during the making of lost of the original mounting of the production yeah and so he can't ride a horse and so now he's like super old he can't do it right and then for a brief moment it was you mcgregor and robert duval yeah and then it was jack o'connor john hurt and now it's adam driver and michael palin yeah but i mean every, saying it like that makes it sound like it's never gonna happen but, but every iteration sounds cool yeah, yeah yeah definitely so this is the synopsis that's been released there was a time when toby was a young film student full of ideals so he decided to shoot a film adapted from the story of Don Quixote in a pretty Spanish village. But those days are gone, and now Toby is an arrogant publicist, libidinous and jaded. Money and glitter have corrupted him, and while he is in Spain, where he finishes filming an ad, he has to juggle with his boss's wife, Jackie, a calamitous weather, and his own ego. He has to juggle with... He's got to juggle with his boss's wife. That sounds like a nightmare. Like Two of them being asked, being asked to juggle together. Um, at this point, a mysterious gypsy comes to find him with an old copy of his student film, Toby is upset and decides to go in search of a little village where he has made where he made the film, and he discovers with horror that his film has had terrible effects on the quiet village. Angelica, the girl full of innocence, has become a high-class cool girl, and the old man who played Don Quixote lost his mind, convinced in his delusion of being the real knight of the sorrowful countenance. And various other things happen. So I guess it turns into a kind of two-hander with uh, Palin as the old crazy knight and sounds great, Adam right? Driver as the kind of nuts, sexy young ex-filmmaker yeah. Ant-Man. I love that as a double act, though. You yeah, Me too. That's like a super cool double act. I just saw uh, Michael Palin recently. He was in that ghost story thing. And it wasn't particularly good, but he was really cool in it. And it was like, he's got real dramatic chops. Yeah. And he's like a, he looks good as an old guy. You know, he's like still a great screen presence. Absolutely. There's a cool story with the making of Brazil where De Niro wanted... His agent wanted uh, Michael Palin's part, like in Brazil, and the producer's like, "This would be great." De Niro's the second lead, and like Terrigan's like, "I've already given it to my friend Michael Palin." Yeah, <laughs> like, you kidding me? We have De Niro's like, no, he can play like the sort of ninth male supporting character of like two scenes as a plumber. He's the plumber. He's the plumber. Yeah, sorry, it's I've like, already got a part for De Niro. Yeah, the plumber. I gave all the lines to Palin. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I like they're still mates. You yeah. know, it's kind of sweet. 
Well, if uh, they make this movie and it's really good, then Palin can boast of having a sort of superior film career to De Niro now. It's like you're off making Dirty Grandpa and I'm making this like Gilliam comeback movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's really exciting. I'm like, I'm probably stoked for that because he's a very likable man, Gilliam, and he's done some really great work. And he always seems like someone who's just raring to have a comeback and do something else incredible. See? Yeah, yeah. Exciting. I hope he does a George Miller style old dude masterpiece movie. Yes. The man who killed Don Quixote, Fury Road. It's going to blow everyone away. I smell broth. Tim broth. I think our food is arriving, Danny. Brilliant. I'm famished. Okay, listeners, we'll be enjoying our food. And uh, after this, we're going to head back to the hotel, shower, and change for the premiere. Pretty exciting. And we'll see you there in a moment. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello listeners, we're in our hotel, our Cannes Hotel, looks very nice in our room, it's very spacious. Danny is enjoying the shower at the moment, and while we wait, I have lined up a exciting surprise, and I hope he comes out of the shower soon, because otherwise he's going to miss it, because I'm going to be speaking to Jean-Marc Vallée, the director of Demolition, which I'll be reviewing very shortly, and... That sounds like it's him now. Uh, come in. Bonjour. Ah, Jean-Marc Vallée. Such a pleasure to meet you. Ah, pleasure, pleasure. Yes, pleasure to meet you. Ah, wow, I'm such a big fan of your movies. Thank you, I am a fan too. And Demolition, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Ah, uh, okay, yes, thank you. Yes. Um, I just wanted to ask, what for you was the most interesting thing about working with Jake Gyllenhaal? Uh, there were many interesting things. I think he was a very uh, intelligent man. He had a little, uh, a little calendar. He used to learn lots of things from it. He had little facts like about animals and countries and things like that. And he used to he used to tell me them. That's really interesting. I, I didn't know that about him. So one of the themes in the movie is breaking apart your life. Mm-hmm. And Jake Gyllenhaal kind of uh, destroys a bunch of stuff in his house. And I was yes. wondering, if you were going through a crisis, what would you take a sledgehammer to in your own home? Uh, well, my home is a very precious place. So uh, I would probably take a sledgehammer to my own children or myself before I take it to my home. In France, the home is sacred. It is sacred. You cannot, uh, you cannot do this. Okay, that's a very interesting response. So you've got a few interesting projects coming up. Um, I believe that the one you got lined up directly after this one is called Unrequited Gloves. Can mm. you tell us anything about that? We oui, uh, so uh, Unrequited Gloves is about uh, there's a little octopus who lives beneath the sea, and uh, he uh, he starts making these gloves. Uh, but no one will buy the gloves because uh, 
They are for people with eight legs, and uh, no one but him has eight legs, and it's a, a searing piece of drama. Um, Jean-Marc, it's been a real pleasure to have you with us. Um, unfortunately, I have to let you go in a moment, so it's just time for one more question. If you were on a desert island, um, and you could, you had to live there with only one person in the world, who would that be and why? Uh, again, I have to answer, it would probably be my house. Because uh, I think of my house as a person, and uh, I I really really like it. I would like to live in it, even if on a uh, desert island. I'm sorry if this is an unsatisfactory response to your question. Jean-Marc, it's such a privilege to speak to you. No response from you could conceivably be unsatisfactory. It's been an electric interview. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, and good luck with uh, the rest of your time in Cannes. Uh, thank you. I uh, look forward to uh, lots of uh, films and film chat. <laughs> Hello. Uh, au revoir. Au revoir. What a guy. Danny, that was like the longest shower of all time. You missed Jean-Marc Vallée. It was a great show, man. The director of Demolition was here. And I spoke to him. He's a very <sighs> strange man, to be honest with you. He said a bunch of bizarre things. I don't mind. Might I say, by the way... That your hair is looking absolutely fantastic. Okay, I've never seen it looking so luscious and healthy. And through the hairs, I can spy that your scalp is looking positively radiant. Thanks, Sam. That's because I use the specially formulated menthol shampoo and menthol hair mask made by leading trichologist Angelina Richardson, exclusively available from the Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic. Since using these products, my head has gone through what I don't hesitate to call a follicle revolution. I mean... Strangers stop me to compliment me on the street. I enter rooms and people just start applauding. Jay-Z tried to have an affair with me. It's great. certainly sounds like it. Where can I get these products? I've already covered that, Sam, but I'll tell you again. They're available at the Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic. It's in Fulham. Brilliant. Oh, my goodness. I wish that these products were more readily available. I don't want to have to go to Fulham every single time. Me too, Sam. And they can be, with our listeners' help. All you need to do is go to the website, www.vmbvvoom.com forward slash pitch forward slash Teresa hyphen Angelina hyphen trichology hyphen haircuts forward slash vote and vote for the Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic. Okay, uh, you can't possibly expect people to remember that link. And what the hell is the VMBVoom? Good point, Sam. I'll put the link on our Facebook page. As for VMBVoom, that stands for Virgin Media Business Voom. It's an online competition run by Virgin Media where small businesses can enter business proposals, which the public then vote on. Then the six with the most votes get to pitch to Richard Branson himself. Rich Brands himself. That's pretty exciting. So what you're saying is that if we all vote for the Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic, they might get the backing of Richard Branson and will thus be able to offer their astoundingly excellent products to a much wider audience? Exactly, Sam. Now pass me my talcum powder and towel. I need to dry off. Yes, it's a bit weird that you're completely naked right now. Well, I'm now fully dry and clothed. Thank God. So, Demolition, this is the new movie from eccentric French filmmaker Jean-Marc Vallée, who uh, most recently directed Wild and Dallas Buyers Club, which both got a bit of an Oscar attention. And this movie has been released in May, which suggests to you that maybe the studio doesn't see it as such an Oscary film. Yeah. Um, it stars Jake Gyllenhaal, and he plays a finance man, sort of suited city man, whose wife is killed in a car crash right at the beginning of the movie. He gets away unscathed, and he deals with it in a very buttoned-up way, doesn't have a sudden outpouring of grief, and he starts writing confessional letters to a vending machine company 
and that brings him into contact with Naomi Watts. Okay, so um, when I first heard about this movie and when I saw the trailer, I wasn't particularly um, that excited to see it because it looked like it was going to be another kind of um, white rich man has issues film, which I feel like I've seen a lot of. I think especially after watching um, you know six seasons of The Sopranos and then watching five seasons of Mad Men. Wait, how many? Was there six? Seven. Seven of Mad Men, exactly. It's like... I feel like those two incredible television shows have really encapsulated the difficulties of being rich, white, and a man, you know, which are real, obviously, but, uh, you know, on some level, but it's like, hard to find a fresh angle, hard to find a fresh angle on it. Exactly. And, uh, I was also kind of thinking of fight club because there's a similar kind of deconstruction of modern life and how it feels, you know, that's what it looked like to me that like the movie was going to be, um, about how uh, you're just in the office every day and nothing really feels true, you know, and how do you connect with stuff and i got to break it all down, you know? Like Absolutely. in Fight Club, they just start punching each other because they got to reconnect with, you know, basic humanity or something like that. And in Demolition, he uh, starts tearing apart his own life very literally. He starts, oh, like, see. taking a sledgehammer to his own apartment and, um, you know, destroys things and, and that kind of thing. And uh, I went to see the movie because there wasn't really anything else on that I wanted to see. <laughs> and it was on at a convenient time. And it was, it was a bit disappointing in that it kind of lived up to that expectation right. very much. And about halfway through, I thought maybe it was going to not be that. Uh, and then it very quickly became that um, towards the end. So when it's working, it's uh, is when it's psychologically ambiguous. And it's working in the way that a film which isn't giving you answers... Um, can be good because you feel like the answers might be worth it, you know? Yeah. Well, it's kind of, there's a there's a bit in the middle where it's kind of meandering, you're not quite sure where it's all going to go, and you're like, maybe it's going to go to a really fascinating place. And so while you're there, it's interesting. But then it, it's a bit like the writer kind of ran out of ideas, and he just picked up his, like, screenwriting 101 book and was like, uh, you know, how do we sort of close this story off and just came up with the easiest possible ways to end it, and then you're kind of left a bit like, oh, is that it? Yeah. And I think some of the warning signs as well as in, as in the secondary characters. He A lot of it is about his relationship with Naomi Watts. And it's kind of a manic pixie dream girl thing. I right. feel like trope education has really helped me watch movies. It's uh, it's so useful to have these things explained to you before you go in to see things. Because if you feel like you understand them, then you can really see how these things fit. It's just, you know, you can tell when the writing has been lazy. So Naomi Watts is not really manic, but it's basically a film in which he struggles to connect with other people because he's processing his grief and he's kind of closed off and weird and he starts acting really eccentrically. And, like, the only person he can really connect with is someone else who's a bit odd and, like, you know, has two, quirks. Two oddballs healing each other. Yeah, exactly. And in really cliched ways, like running on the beach and, you know, laughing and yelling, that right, kind of thing. Yeah. Or, like, building a fort on the sofa. Yeah, and and you, you, it's also got that thing, the sort of manic PC dream girl thing of instead of having a personality, just having quirks. Right. It's like she does crazy things, you know. And she's got a she's a single mother. She's got a son. I feel like this is another like, I was watching this movie basically. This is a real like white man's film. Yeah. You know, not to see everything through the prism of diversity, but I think one of the sort of white man things about it is the fact that the way that they've given a woman a personality is basically by like quirks. Plus, she's a single mother. You know, like a woman's problems are like, how do I deal with my son? And a man's problems are like, I don't understand myself. You know? <laughs> the son is also a type which is seems to be becoming increasingly prevalent of the sort of weirdly precocious boy who just like talks like a bit like an adult. And then like 
Jay Gyllenhaal, he's like a cool guy who doesn't talk down to him. You know, they sort of talk on the same level, whatever, right. so they form a bond. And the kid who plays the boy is really fantastic. I don't know his name because I didn't bother to look it up. But uh, but he's really good. And you feel like, you know, this kid's going to go places. But it was hard not to think of, like, Jacob Tremblay or sure. um, the kid from St. Vincent. Yeah. How was the direction? Direction is really good. I think the direction is much better than the material. And yeah, I think that's a Jean Marc Vallée sort of trope almost. It yeah, kind of elevates material, which is a bit yeah. Oscar-y on the surface, and then definitely, he's, it's it's very like well, he just does a lot with it. I think he is picking up the, some of the slack left by the script, and that the script is a bit low on ideas, but the direction isn't at all. Um, and he's very good, I think, at having clever little directorial decisions that don't feel over flashy. I think the only problem is, with it is that it looks a little bit like an advert for an independent coffee shop it's very kind of sunny and like someone described it as an artisanal grief movie uh in a review that i read which i think is kind of true you know yeah. uh, jake jenhall looks a bit too good the whole time when he goes to pieces he grows his beard a little bit longer but he still looks really sexy <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh so it doesn't there's very little like weight to it because it looks very pretty the entire time right okay. and it's laced with humor in a way that sort of some of it is funny but it lessens the dramatic impact i think rather than adding to it sure it's um, always like a bit of a problem of like i want to make a movie about a depressed guy but i don't want to make it too depressing to watch yeah so. exactly it's kind of not depressing enough to watch i guess yeah uh, but i think maybe the, that's just an issue of not particularly fully buying into it the performances are very good jake Dylan hall is really excellent in it. it looks very sexy in his grieving um <laughs> and uh his father-in-law is chris cooper who has a kind of underwritten part as the grieving dad uh and he's but he's very good as well it's always good to see chris cooper and stuff uh, but i think this is an issue that i have with this kind of movie as well which like is exploring the personality of a character who on the surface is kind of an asshole he's constantly being a dick to people because he's like acting so eccentrically and that just involves like you know ignoring social graces and um being really blunt and whatever stuff that is you know rude Hmm. Uh, but in the movie you're supposed to kind of understand it because he's like you know deep he's got loads of layers and he's he's constantly writing these letters to the vending machine company which like voiceovers you know so you're sort of supposed to like get into his psyche and stuff and it's about how he's processing the grief and his father-in-law is processing his grief in like a much more straightforward way and that he's like really upset and he cries and then he like moves on with his life and you know he seems to be okay and it's an odd thing because the movie on one hand is saying we all process grief differently and even though someone doesn't look upset on the outside and they act really like normal they might still be going through stuff you know which is a you know important thing to be saying and that seems like you know that's enough to make a movie about but the guy who is having the much more regular crying type grief um is kind of portrayed as not interesting as though the inner life is really only something that like certain people have you know what i mean yeah, yeah. like in order to focus the movie on this one guy everyone else is kind of flattened out a bit especially if you're supposed to find them a bit like of an idiot or a bit douchey but like the main guy is douchey so like makes excuses for his douchiness because it's like he's deep and he's got issues but like if there's another character who just seems kind of like dumb and an asshole then that's all you're supposed to think about them you know is it, is it it's from... a bit cheap it's yeah. a bit like it's a bit of a narcissistic view of um psychology but is like is the movie from that character's point of view or is it more objective and... well i think that it's um it wants you to invest in him and and i think that it wants to say something universal about human psychology in the similar way to the way fight club wants to say something about modern life you yeah. know i think there's an aspect of that to it but that it loses that sense of um it loses a bit of its humanity if some characters just supposed to laugh at as fools 
I mean, yeah. it's, it doesn't really emphasize me. that, but I think it is an aspect of it. I think basically it comes off as a real first world problems movie in which the guy is rich enough that he can like destroy his own house and it really is fine. Or he doesn't go to work or he just shouts at his boss. He does whatever the hell he wants. And it's like, it's okay because he's processing his issues. And Most uh, people have that luxury. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was a point in the middle of the movie when I thought it was going to um, go much further down the deconstruction route and really commit to that idea. And I felt like it pulls away from it and offers to kind of an easy, comforting answer. And it, I think that it's be- it's because it's such a sort of light film, um, it, it just ends up feeling like the sort of moans of a rich white dude rather than a movie that's really about anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit so, of a confused film. Not not too much going on. It's a shame. But well directed and good performances. So not a total write-off. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end. So, The Green Room. This is uh, writer-director Jeremy Saulnier's follow-up to his breakout indie hit Blue Ruin, which we reviewed on episode four or five on the podcast back on Infancy. And the synopsis is about a punk group called The Ain't Rights, who just about eke a living on the road, traveling across America, doing tiny gigs. They're basically on the poverty line. And low on cash, they agree to do a gig at this bar in the middle of nowhere, which turns out to be a super far-right skinhead bar. Uh, After they do their gig... They go back in the green room and accidentally witness the aftermath of a murder by one of the uh, higher-ranking skinheads at the bars. After they do their gig, they um, go back to the green room and they accidentally witness the aftermath of a murder by one of the higher-ranking skinhead characters and end up locking themselves in the green room to protect themselves and what follows is this sort of tense siege thriller with the band on one side and the neo-Nazis on the other side, led by the charismatic Darcy, played by Patrick Stewart. <laughs> He's called Darcy. He's called Darcy. So, I thought this was great. I saw this at the London Film Festival several months ago. I think I saw it in the best possible way to see it, which was with a packed audience. Because it's a, a movie which elicits a lot of gasps and, oh my god, and Jesus, that's horrible moments in it. And it's a really interesting follow-up to Blue Ruin, which was something of a subversive thriller chase movie, which um, used the conventions of a genre to tell a story about how violence begets violence and uh, never ends well. And The Green Room, in comparison, is a bit more of a straightforward genre piece. And there's perhaps an argument to be made about how the two sets of groups are like, one takes uh, anger in terms of the violence, and one takes anger in terms of the music. But that really isn't really what the film's about. It's about neo-Nazis versus a punk band. And that is a great uh, (laughs) premise for a film. Yeah. And so when you strip away all these interesting details, it basically boils down to the familiar premise of a group of young people battling some malevolent antagonists. But the fact there's a punk band versus neo-Nazis is a very inspired choice. So the band setup cuts through a lot of the logistics of a horror film because instantly establishes them as a band. They're a group of friends. They know each other. And so you don't have to bother with setting up any sort of character dynamics. And they're in the middle of nowhere. So the whole sort of thing of, you know doesn't someone know where they are all those sort of like you know where yeah, their yeah, mobile yeah. phones can't they call someone all the sort of annoying niggling details are taken care of it's certainly better than like we, we've got summer why don't we go camp in the scary woods exactly yeah. and the fact that they're this sort of struggling punks who seem to be touring just for their belief in punk music just makes them instantly endearing they're like these under underdogs and in most horror movies half the characters are sort of cannon fodder but in this one you kind of root for them you really yeah. want them to succeed and neo-Nazis make for great villains. Of course. Many right. filmmakers have understood that. They're instantly terrifying. 
they look really scary they've got the uniform of very scary people and in this movie their motivation is they've got to get rid of these witnesses it's not like they're sadistic thugs and they're like just killing them for the sake of it or just to freak people out they've got like an ancient curse or something exactly exactly they've got a very clear and understandable motive and you know and it sets up this premise and you know all hell lets loose and these strong story decisions are just examples of how economic the storytelling is throughout the film and the direction is really really excellent it creates this very claustrophobic atmosphere right from the beginning even before they get in the bar it's like you open the movie it's like something terrible is going to happen and the moment they end up this bar and there's all these sort of bald guys and like this is not gonna right yeah it's not gonna end well and it's incredibly lean it's like every inch of fat has been exercised from the film and there's a bluntness to direction which elicits as much moments of like shock and horror like the violence is sudden and horrific and impactful and in the same way, that kind of bluntness is used for like really darkly comic moments. And it like lands all these beats really well. It's got these really good performances around. The casting of Anton Yelchin, who's Chekhov from the Star Trek I reboot, remember. probably. I and, can do that. Yeah, and um, Aliyah Shawkat, who's maybe from Arrested Development, are like in the punk band. And the punk band are just like, all the people are really likable. Yeah, you know, they've they got both, a certain they, both of those people have very like sort of young. I was gonna say boyish, but one of them's a girl, boyish and girlish, nice features. Yeah, I don't want to see anyone hurt Anton Yelchin. Exactly, and he's he's a really um, interesting screen presence. He's like a sort of everyman, but he's like just you know, it's hard to be an everyman. Without not being a boring, bland. not a boring everyman. That's the one exactly. Yeah. And um, Patrick Stewart is really good in it. It's a bit of a sort. Of, it's kind of stunt casting that works in that. The things that make him an excellent leader of a Star Trek ship and a leader of mutant uh, yeah. do-gooders are the same things that make him a good villain. He's got this just it like gravitas, which he can just like sh- you know click the button and switch to menacing. And he just when he turns up, it's like a real like oh fucking hell, this guy's turned up. And it's great. And the violence is also really done well, really really done well. I'm a critic. <laughs> I can use my words. It was good. It was good. And um, I've only, he's made three films, this guy. His first film, Murder Party, which was in 2007. It's apparently this sort of... Sounds awesome. This sort of slasher, like, comedy film. But Blue Ruin and this has this... I guess it's a trope you do in two films of people being inept at violence. And one of the things that makes the film really good is that it's sort of... It's within this genre, but it doesn't always obey kind of genre logic. So it's a film where people just don't know how to use guns automatically. Yeah, yeah. Which is a sort of thing in movies. And it's this interesting thing of people who are very used to violence, which is the neo-Nazis coming across these punks who were just like, you know, just like being really angry and full of attitude. have never actually been in a fight in their lives. Yeah. And they're forced to use violence. And I feel the best way to sort of surmise it is it's the movie equivalent of a punk song in that it's really energetic and like grabs you by the scruff of your neck and doesn't let up. But at the same time, like a really good like Ramones track you strip away all that attitude. It's just a beautiful, like a really brilliantly constructed song. And there's like a, you know, indestructible Beatles-esque chorus verse sort of thing. Yeah. There's like all these little bits are set up and they all pay off in a like really articulate way. And I would, yeah. I Sounds think just awesome. go see it with as many people as possible and wince and be like, oh my God. Get a party together. Have your own murder party watching Green Room. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, Danny, I'm glad you finished what you're saying because I was about to cut you off because we've got to hurry. We're going to catch the premiere of Cafe Society. Absolutely. I'm bloody yes. excited. Yes. Can't wait. Woo, woo. Love a premiere. When Zach Graff heard something that changed his life, what he listened to 
Exciting. Oh Never God. been to a proper premiere before. So many famous people. I just saw Case Stew. She's over there. Look oh my God, there. it's Case Stew. It's Case Stew in the flesh. I never liked Twilight before, but now I love it. Oh, looking at her is so bloody exciting. Everyone oh. is really famous. Oh my God. We've oh. hit the big time. I think we're getting close to the front. Yep. Okay. Can't Who's wait this? to go in. Who's this guy? He looks familiar. Uh, votre nom, monsieur. Um, name. Oh, I'm uh, Danny Moran. Sam Foster. Friends of Woody Allen. Film chat. Okay, attends. Second. Eh, non. Vous êtes pas sur les listes, monsieur? No. What? No, 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 no. no, no. no. We're personal friends of Woody Allen. He's we're, we're Woody invited we're us. definitely on the list. He's very clear. Uh, Woody Allen, non, je ne crois pas. I don't, uh, I don't uh, believe this. Uh, Wait. We, this guy is kind of familiar. Don't you, do you work in the chocolate croissant? The croissant? Uh, no. Wait a second, wait, you're not just the waiter from the... You're Jean-Marc Vallée! I was just interviewing you a oh second ago. Yeah. Okay, shut up, shut up. You keep this quiet, okay? Yes, I'm Jean-Marc Vallée. I have to work three jobs. My last film, you know what it made? Zero euros. Zero euros. I have to do this. I have to wait. I have to be bouncer. And you, you kids, you just just leave me alone, huh? Get out of here. Get okay, out of here. Take wait. them away. Take them hey, away. Wait, wait, Jean-Marc, please. No, come on. Come on. Give no, me no. Hey, garçon. Oh, hey. Hey, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Woody, it's uh, it's just Danny here. Bit of a some sort of uh, snafu with the list. We're not on it at the moment, so... um. Just wondering if you could uh, sort out for us. We're just on the, uh, well, not on the red carpet anymore, just outside it, pretty much. But uh, we can get in if you just, uh, clock's ticking, but, you know, just let us know. Let us know. Hi, Woody. Um, really excited to be here, but we don't seem to be on the list. Some kind of issue. If you could just let us know and we can get in and see your great movie. Very excited. Get back to us. I don't know if you know where of this, Woody, but Jean-Marc Vallée's on the door. Uh, I don't know if you've got some sort of issue with him, but he's... He seems adamant not to let us in. I'm wondering if it's a, it's a, you know, admin issue or if it's a Jean-Marc Vallée issue. Uh, just thought I should bring that to your attention. Anyway, get back to us. Hope you're well. Okay, Woody, alright, this is serious now, okay? The movie is over. We've completely missed our chance. You promised us that we'd get in. I don't know what's going on between you and Jean-Marc Vallée. I don't know what you said to him about Demolition or any of his other wonderful films, but you've got to sort it out, okay? You owe us big time, alright? And when I see your movie, which will be never, probably, I will give it a terrible review. Thanks for nothing, Woody. Nothing. Goodbye. Hey, fellas. I'm really sorry I didn't pick up your call today. Today has been an absolute disaster from start to finish. Blake Lively's pet ferret attacked my assistant, and now the three of them aren't speaking. And Jesse Eisenberg won't stop asking me to read his novel. And I tried to order coffee this morning, and they just brought me a mint julep. I have no idea why. It was very distressing. Okay, on top of that... My neighbor told me that her mouth is feeling a lot better. She's been doing nothing but chewing on ice cubes and cucumbers and probably a number of other soothing food items. And apparently she's made a remarkable recovery. So um, anyway, she's she arrived and she became very desperate to see the film. And I know I promised the tickets to you, but, you know, I mean, I couldn't really turn her down. You know, she's a very, very persuasive woman. So anyway, I'm sorry you guys are going to miss out on the movie. But if it's any consolation, it's probably the worst film I've ever made in my life. It was an absolute cosmic embarrassment. 
having to show it to people, so you should consider yourselves lucky, in fact. And uh, no hard feelings. All right, now I gotta go, okay, because I just noticed I got toothpaste on my wing collar, and uh, I gotta sort that out before bed or Su Yin's gonna, you know. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Very upset, so. All right. See you around. Later, fellas. <laughs> 